Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. I'm really excited because Mara's here. I am super duper excited. We are live here on Twitch tonight. Welcome aboard to all of our friends. This is a super exciting time because as Pagan teased, we have the amazing Mara Starling joining the show tonight. Many of you saw Mara speak at PhenomenaCon over the last couple weeks. We are here to bring all of that together. That talk, Welsh Witchcraft, Mara's book that we're really, really excited to talk all through and to tease that Mara's going to be joining us this Saturday on say on Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern mm-hmm. time. So Mara, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Hello, and I'm so glad to be here too. Thank you so much for inviting me on and I'm really excited to chat with you tonight. <laughs> This is a super fun time with a super excited group of people. I want to say some hellos out there to chat because they're just raving away, already excited about what we're going to be talking about. Someone, oh, our friend Jenny right off the bat was saying tonight is one of those nights where there's already a lot of magic and synchronicities in the air. Now this is coming about. What a wonderful gift. I couldn't agree more. So, Mar, we always like to give people the heavy hitters right off the bat, which is going to be about your background. You know, the easy questions. How did this come about? How did you get onto that path? But truly, as we're introducing uh, a new guest to our audience here, we do want to hear about your background. What what got you into the author space and specifically what brought the the magic into your life? However, you'd like to first approach that kind of topic. Oh gosh, well, magic has always kind of been quite a prominent aspect of my life. I remember when I was younger and I was growing up in a rural Welsh-speaking community, um, I was brought up on the myths and legends of the region that I was in. And I went to a school that only had about 26 students altogether. Um, and <laughs> it was it was quite insane. It was very intimate, very small. So our teachers didn't really follow like a curriculum or anything like that. So we were very privileged in that we only spoke Welsh at school. We never spoke English, um, aside from the odd occasion that they'd read from like an English book or something. And then my teacher would sit there going like, let's speak English now, class. (laughs) And you'd be there like, oh, cringing because you watch English television at home. So, you know, that's not what it's supposed to sound like. (laughs) But um, so I was privileged to not only just grow up surrounded by the Welsh language, but they brought in the Welsh culture with them when, whenever they came into school. So our classes, um, we d- we weren't separated into different classrooms based on like year groups. We were like, there was class one and there was class two, and it was like year one, two, and three, and year four, five, and six. And it was just this big family and we all knew each other and all kind of, uh, we were like siblings, almost everyone in that school, because we were just so close. And what I loved about it was that our teachers would come in and they'd teach us the legends of the land. They would teach us um, the stories from, to our body of myths is called the Mapinoki, uh, Mapinoki. And it's a collection of medieval Welsh prose uh, that make up this really intense storytelling tradition. And the stories, though they were like written down for the first time in the medieval period, they go back into this oral tradition of storytelling that existed in Wales for thousands of years. So a 
lot of these stories are ancient. And I remember sitting there listening to these tales and hearing about characters such as Branwen and Blodeev and Rhiannon and Bendigeidvran. And a lot of these characters, it's like you have a woman made out of flowers by magic. You have like a giant who crosses the Irish Sea, a woman who speaks to a starling. You've got all these different stories going on. And I felt like these people were my my family almost because we heard about them so much. And I was always privileged to go and see like theatrical productions of these tales. And I just, I loved them. And on top of that, on top of like my teachers and such, we also had my grandmother, my nine, we say in Welsh, who was very much um, a diviner. She was uh, a person who loved to divine the future via like tea leaf reading and uh, crystal balls and things like that. So magic was always kind of like a huge part of my life, going to the farm to visit nine and her giving like tea leaf readings and talking about crystal balls and herbs and then going to school and learning about the mythology of our land. So like, it was no wonder to me that I turned to a more magical way of life as I grew older. And I remember when my grandmother died, when I was about nine or 10, I lost a lot of magic in my life because she was my biggest cheerleader. She was the one who used to always stand up for me and um, empower me, I suppose, and make me feel like I actually belonged in the family and in the community that we were in. And when she died, I felt like everything just kind of crashed around me. And that is until I found a book called Spells for Teenage Witches. And I was introduced then not just to magic, but to the world of witchcraft and magic and um, and how like you could incorporate those things into your everyday life. So I spent all my weekends uh, going down to the local, we had like a little uh, library museum area that was like a historical center in the village and they had a little computer in the corner. And I'd go there and I'd like look up um, spellsforwitches.com and things like that. And that was my first introduction to witchcraft. I started doing these spells and doing magic and it worked and it made me feel closer to my nine. And then um, after that, I started meeting lots of local witches. So there was a, a local folk witch who lived in a little cottage just outside the village, who was also one of the visiting art teachers at my school. So she kind of introduced me to a lot of magic and witchcraft. And then um, I also met the Anglesey Druid Order, which were an order of druids and bards, which operated on the Isle of Anglesey. And specifically, I met the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order who lived just down the road. And he introduced me to these characters, again, these myths and legends that I'd already learned about in school, but specifically brought them into a more spiritual way of life. So he taught me that they're not just stories. You can incorporate these characters and these elements of magic from our legend and lore into your everyday life. And that completely transformed my path. So that was the beginning of me shifting to a more Welsh place. And ever since I was young, I said, I want to write a book about magic in Wales. And now I've done it. So <laughs> it's kind of like, it was all, it all led to the to this eventually. And um, I just, I look back now and I think how in school I was known as the one who likes mermaids, witches and fairies. And now here I am writing about those things in the books. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of accumulative. It just happened naturally. <laughs> That's a gorgeous I background. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can already tell our chat saying things like that's so cool. <laughs> I mean, what an awesome uh, group of opportunities. And, and I'm so 
excited to hear, you know, when you have connection and family that brings that about, that's, that's something really, really special. And I, I'm sure I'd love to hear more about that as well. I, one of the questions that'll come up today too, and I heard a little bit of it in there, you posted something on Instagram where someone was coming to your book for the first time and they made like, um, almost a false equivalency with, with Welsh, uh, folklore and the such, and also combining it with English folklore because they said they had something of, of heritage there. Is that something we could touch on tonight in a minor way too? Is is some uh, brief differentiations for people that might be coming to this? Like if someone, you know, is just coming from an outside and they want to pick your book up, what's what's that like for them? Oh gosh, well I think um, the post that you're referring to is the one I posted the other day where I said. Somebody messaged me on, I think it was Facebook and said, um, oh, I'm so excited for your book. Um, I'm just so grateful that this exists because last year I found out that I have English ancestry and Wales is my favorite part of England. <laughs> and that that's one of the kind of misconceptions <laughs> that I did want to try and stamp with my book was that I remember when I went to university. So the first time I ever left Wales, I'd never like traveled abroad or anything. And the first time I left Wales to live anywhere other than in Wales itself was when I went to university and I went to Manchester for university. And I I seemed to make friends with the um, international students much more than I did the English students. I didn't really relate to the English students that much. But my international friends, people who were coming from, like, I had a friend from New Caledonia, one from the Netherlands, one from Germany, Poland. There was one who came from Brazil. And we all connected over culture and language, the fact that we all spoke a different language as our first language. We all had this deep, intense like connection to our culture and they celebrated that. And I loved that. Whereas a lot of the English speaking people, um, they didn't really talk about those things as much. And those are the things that interested me was culture, language, history, folklore, magic. And so like I connected more to them, but I remember feeling really put down because a lot of the time when I would speak to people from other countries outside of say like England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, they didn't know that Wales even existed as a country. They were like, oh, is that not just like a little county in England? Is that not just like a little state in the United Kingdom or something? I was like, oh, not quite. We are our own country. <laughs> we have had countrydom for the last 600 years. We've been seen as a country for the last 600 years. And we do have our own sovereignty. It's it's just that we're underneath the, the banner of uh, the United Kingdom. And what I always found frustrating was that nobody has a problem seeing like Scotland as its own country mm. or Northern Ireland. Well, there are problems, but at mm. the same time, we, no matter who I spoke to across the world, they always seem to know like Scotland has its own identity. Ireland has its own identity. But then we talk about Wales and they're like, do you have your own identity? And it's like... <laughs> We have more speakers of our own native Celtic language than Scotland or Ireland. So it's like our native language has been preserved so much more and we have our own cultural identity as well. So it was kind of like a lot of building the book was to make Wales more well known because when we talk about like Celtic practices, which is how it's often spoken about within pagan spaces, like Celtic paganism, Celtic mythology, People often focus intently and entirely on Ireland, and sometimes they'll briefly mention Scotland, but Wales is often kind of shoved under the rug and not really given the uh, spotlight that it deserves, mm -hmm. especially considering I've been speaking a lot lately with um, 
uh, people for an upcoming podcast that I'm doing. And I was talking about how Welsh mythology has um, influenced modern fantasy and uh, so much of modern like magical lore in general. And people aren't aware of that. People aren't aware just how much Wales has influenced. It's like so much of like big modern fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, those kind of stories, Game of Thrones. So much of that is inspired by Wales and people don't see it, don't recognize it. And that makes me sad. <laughs> so I always mm-hmm. try and kind of uplift the culture and talk about our language, our identity, and you know, the fact that we're here and we should we should be seen as our own uh people as well. So yeah, it, it's kind of something that I, I deal with a lot where people don't realize that there is a difference between English and Welsh and you know that we are our own Celtic nation that's separate from Ireland, Scotland and everyone and that our language is still thriving and still living to this day. Our culture is still thriving and living to this day. <laughs> I love that. That is incredible. And I that space. Continue Pagan, sorry. Um, I, I love that you, your book was really eye-opening in that regard as well, because I, from somebody who, you know, being American, I knew that the Welsh people had their own sovereignty, but beyond that, I didn't know much. Like we're basically taught Wales is part of England. End of story. That's it. There's nothing else that we need to apparently know. And it, the, there's, there was a moment where in your book where you actually talked about uh, Rhiannon. And I had no idea that Rhiannon was actually part of the Welsh witchcraft mythologies. And I'm like, I I didn't know this. Like I knew who she was, but I had no idea where her origin was. And so I'm like, I'm really glad I have this book because I feel like I have culturally appropriated a goddess that I didn't even know where she came from. So it was wonderful that you wrote this book and actually incorporated all these things and were able to teach us the things that a lot of us basically missed. Yeah. Oops, sorry. Yeah, it's like um with Rhiannon especially, like I see a lot in in pagan spaces. She is brought in as a goddess, and often like she's almost never mentioned uh, as to like her origin or where she comes from. And that's the same for a lot of like the the deities or the characters from the mythological cycle that we have. Uh, because like I, I remember like scrolling through uh pagan groups on Facebook when I was like 15, 16, and seeing mentions of characters such as like Ariansod, Rhiannon, Keritwen, all these goddesses that come from Welsh law, but nobody really like takes the time to really see what's the cultural context of where these characters come from and what's going on with them, because they're almost always homogenized under the Celtic umbrella. It's like these are Celtic deities. And it's one thing that I get asked a lot online is what's the difference between like Celtic and Welsh? Because I refer to these characters most of the time as Welsh deities. And they go, oh, don't you mean, especially on TikTok, it happens a lot on TikTok where people go like, don't you mean Celtic deities? And I'm like, they are Celtic, but they're Welsh. And it's a complex kind of place to (laughs) explain that Celtic is an umbrella that covers so many different cultures. Mm -hmm. And there's no such thing as like Celtic culture as one culture. It's like this broad stroke covering so many different cultures, even some that people don't know much about. It's more than just Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and 
that's it as well. There's mm-hmm. so much more than that. Beyond that, there are Celtic cultures, like on the mainland of Europe, there are Celtic cultures in islands that surround the British Isles, such as the Isle of Man, and even in regions of England, such as Cornwall. And Cornwall's a fun one because it's part of England, but is it? But is it? <laughs> we don't know. So it's a fun one that I I love to dive into and kind of expand um, because it's really easy, especially within like the witching world, to just easily go, Celtic and leave it at that. But not many people seem to know what Celtic means. And so it's something I'm very passionate about is getting that information out there. That's really a wonderful thing to to be spreading information. We have questions building off of that in chat. Like right now, uh, one of our friends, Tanino, asks if you could chime in on the subject at large of people gravitating towards magical traditions that don't necessarily align with their own ethnic heritage. They might find something in it that really appeals to them. Um, I know a lot of our audience is uh, you know, a very respect-forward crew, so they always tend to go after learning and, and things like that. But even with a lot of learning and a lot of respect and care, it can still be a, a, a somewhat of a, a challenging thing or, or just a little daunting even. What do you have any thoughts on that, Mara? I remember when I was very young, um, I, I met the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order, Christopher Hughes, and he sat me down in his little office. And the first thing he said to me was, oh, I really like your necklace. I really love your necklace. And back then, I think I was 16 years old, I used to wear this little pendant that was a pentagram that was held up by the goddess Isis, the Egyptian goddess Isis. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I love it. Um, the Egyptian goddess Isis, you know, I love her. Absolutely. And Christopher kind of like sat there looking at me a bit strangely and he went, you do realize that we have our own goddesses on this land. You don't have to go to the ones across the sea from us and call to deities that are thousands of miles away. We have, you know, goddesses that are very much rooted in this landscape. And I remember at 16 years old, I was like, what? Oh my (laughs) gosh. Like all I've ever heard anyone online do is talk about like Isis and Astarte, Diana, Hecate to quote that chant that's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But um, so I was kind of like absolutely mind blown. And that's when I started just really delving into my own culture. And especially because growing up in Wales, it's such a huge part of my identity now. Um, It was quite transformative. And I always tell people my path as a witch didn't really begin until I did that, until I started looking into my own culture, my own heritage and the land that I was on as well. Because I think that's very important is looking at the land upon which you're on. And I know that for some people in some countries, that can be really difficult because if you're on stolen land, if you're on land that isn't your ancestors' land, it can be like a bit of a minefield, especially nowadays as conversations about like cultural appropriation is coming up and uh, people are starting to be more mindful about how to respect other cultures without treading into places that we don't belong. And so I think sometimes I I forget my privilege in that I live in Wales. I live like in the land where my ancestors are from. So of course saying, you know, like you need to connect to the land that you're on is really, really easy for me. But if you're living on a land that's stolen and you don't feel like you have any right to be there, that can be difficult. And so you feel like you have to go back to your own ancestors. Uh, The one thing that I always try and make clear is that 
being Welsh or being Celtic in particular, if we're going to go more broad about it, is not a race. It's not like it's nothing to do with DNA or blood or anything like that. Being Celtic is a culture. It's a cultural, it's a lived cultural experience. And even within the academic spheres, the idea of what exactly does it mean to be Celtic is still debated to this day. Because what we found is that there are no kind of genetic markers that make you Celtic. It's very much varied and depends on region to region. And so it's a complex area. But the one thing that a lot of people are um, accepting and acknowledging does connect the Celts together is culture, is lived cultural experiences, is language, it's art, it's food, it's, you know, the way that we dress, the way that we are. And a lot of that Celtic um, culture is still alive to this day. And people forget that because we talk about Celtic paganism and practices as if they're the thing of the past, as if they're something, you know, thousands of years ago in the mists of time in the sacred ancient world of Avalon or something. And the thing is, it's still alive. It's still here to this day. And we are still fighting to uh, keep our culture alive to this day. And so it can get a little bit, um, I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't want to offend anyone, but sometimes as somebody who lives in Wales and is part of the the culture that's still fighting to like be recognised, you know, there's talks of independence in all the Celtic nations right now. We hear about Scottish independence, Northern Ireland wants to reunify. And even in Wales, we have our own Annie Bunyaith um, independence movement. And so like we're all still trying to cement our identity and promote our language and our heritage to this day. Uh, the Welsh language, you know, has for centuries and centuries been subjugated and put down and there were laws put in place to stop us from speaking it. And to this day, we're still fighting to try and build the numbers back up. Um, so like there's so many things going on today to do with what it means to be Celtic that sometimes it can come across as a little, um, I don't know, distasteful when you come across, say, somebody who lives in Arkansas who has never stepped foot in Wales, turn around and say, I'm Welsh. Because <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, are you? Because, I, I, okay, <laughs> that's fine. And I get what it means. I think it's that a lot of people are still trying to find that sense of identity. And so they because they know that they're not on the land that their ancestors are from and they want to connect to something on a deeper level. They want to connect to that past that their family has, mm -hmm. but it can, you know, you, I still think that it's important to remember the context of which, you know, Welsh people still exist. And um, it's only really annoying or distasteful when say people try and speak over those of us who actually are from the land upon which you're talking about. I know recently I had um, a very disgruntled and angry man who um, was like from the Ozark region. I don't know if I'm saying that right, mm -hmm. but in America. And he decided that I was faking being Welsh because I refer to myself as Welsh because he saw this one video where someone mentioned the origin of the word Welsh, which um, the word Welsh in itself means foreigner, which is funny considering that we were the natives of the uh, <laughs> British Isles. But um, 
he was saying like, no true Welsh person would call themselves Welsh. So you're faking it. And it was just a bit like, oh my goodness. Like I can tell you've never been to the UK, yet alone Wales. Uh, I can tell you've never looked into like what it means to be Welsh today and such. Mm -hmm. And um, you're just like regurgitating something you heard on the internet from one person maybe and talking over me and trying to tell me what it means to be Welsh when you don't know that. And he used his like Welsh ancestry as some kind of weapon in that regard to say, like, I know better than you. And we've seen it as well with people like, um, I, I, saw, I see it on Twitter a lot where a lot of very uh, staunch people try and say like, I'm more Irish than this person who actually lives in Ireland because I have white skin and they don't. So I'm more Irish genetically than they are. So there are, there is a lot of problems with reclaiming your ancestry. And I think it's important to, to like bring those things to the forefront and be like, that's not okay. But at the same time, um, I, I kind of reiterate uh, a phrase that I've heard a lot from some of my friends, which is that, we live here in the land, but we don't own these cultural traditions. We don't own them. We're not here as knights, like holding this cultural, this culture hostage, saying you're not allowed in, actually. We're custodians. We're caretakers of this culture. And in my eyes, I think the more people who know about it, the more people who invest time in learning about our culture and our history, our mythology and folklore, the better. Because then I it won't be the case that people will meet, you know, people from the Netherlands or Germany and they'll go, oh, Wales, what's that? Because they'll know, because we're pushing the culture out into the world. And when the Welsh did travel and uh, move across the world, you know, there's a lot, there's a huge Welsh um, community that moved over to, uh, to Appalachia in America. There's a huge Welsh community in Patagonia down in South America, uh, huge Welsh communities in Canada and Australia. And they usually went there for work. They went there post uh, colonization, when the British colonized the places, they were then sent there or went there of their own volition to try and find a better life because life in the country that they were living in wasn't good enough. And when they went, they mixed with uh, the locals and the natives of those areas and they mixed their folklore, their mythology, they shared their stories, they shared their culture and their music. And so I always think of it as if if they're happy to share, then I'm happy to share right now as well. So I'm, it's, it's a strange one. Cause I always say to people, I welcome you into this culture and I welcome you to like, you know, embrace your ancestry, especially if you have ancestors from this place in saying that ancestry isn't needed. Even if you just feel like I'm really intrigued by Welsh, like harp music, I'm going to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. That's fine too. You don't need to have like the blood of the Welsh because I'm not sure if that <laughs> even exists. <laughs> but um, I also say like, I think it's imp important to educate the, uh, yourself on the modern context of what it means to be Welsh and also to acknowledge and understand that people still live in Wales. So don't speak over people who, you know, are actually living in that land and mm. dealing with the current political climate there and such and try and make it that uh, because you have ancestors that lived on that land 300 years ago that you're more entitled to the label than they are. <laughs> so it's 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 a complex area, but in total, you know, I wrote this book because I want people to learn more about it. So, yeah. Beautiful answer. Absolutely yes. <laughs> gorgeous. And I, I mean, it's something that really speaks to our American audience, which I'm sure our audience is primarily mm -hmm. over here. And like you mentioned, Mar, we have a lot of uh, 
stolen land situation over here that we're all trying to address. This audience is a group that's, you know, open about discussing it, where I think a lot of America still is, you know, not even there yet. So to hear that really a passionate and insightful view is is so important because you have, like you said, such a great you sit at such a great position to, to speak on this, having a book that is pushing your culture out there, which I firmly agree with you. I think that it being out there, making it accessible to people, you're you're going to have you're, you're giving people the chance to become educated instead of stealing or or. Um, I think you mentioned this beautifully is like projecting this this false or their imagined version of a land and and kind of operating off of that, ignoring that there's people there and, and living that experience today. So I really hope for the folks out there that, that heard that. Tonino, I know you asked that question was gorgeous. Uh, there is a, another one that I wanted to toss at you too, Mara. Tonino had asked this one. It's kind of going to, I think, work us towards that part of the interview where we want to start talking about, say, on Saturday such. Mm-hmm. Tanino's wondering if you have any favorite magical practices that you like to incorporate into your day-to-day life that you might want to share with folks. Hey, everybody, if you're enjoying this interview with Mara, you might find so many more of interest if you take a look back into the Chaos and Shadow Archive. If you're not already subscribed on your favorite podcast player, make sure you hit the follow button. Uh, It means a ton to us, helps us out in the future with downloads. Also, five-star ratings mean the world. If you leave a nice little note, your name even shows up there, and we want to get back to calling out those five-star reviews. So drop a little review down there, get back to listening, and get involved on the Revelator Podcast Network. We've got massive changes just come into our website and our membership program right now if you go over to coffee.com forward slash kyle paranormal that's where you can find our membership program remember that's ko-fi.com forward slash kyle paranormal all the links are for you in the bio or the description or wherever you're listening to this episode there's some show notes for you enjoy oh gosh so um I absolutely, at the moment, I'm obsessed with snakeskin powder. And it's something that I've been doing for a long time, but I've been adapting a lot as well. So within Welsh folklore and folk magic specifically, there's this idea of crafting a type of powder out of um, the shed skin of a snake. So Mm -hmm. snakes shed their skin naturally. And um, there's a lot of old Welsh books that talk about this practice and why it was done. And I just, it fascinates me every time. So snakes in general have quite a uh, interesting place in Welsh folklore. They're seen as like really highly intelligent creatures. They're seen as almost um, very close to the spiritual, the divine. And the the line between snake and dragon is blurred in our mythology because the words that we use to describe snakes are sometimes like in old Welsh are sometimes very similar to dragon. So like, uh, for example, the dragon that we see on the Welsh flag, the red dragon, which is also on the cover of the book that I wrote, um, an old term for the dragon within uh, a Celtic, uh, Celto-Romano sense, because the Romans brought the symbol of the Draco over here, was a serpent. It's a serpent as well. And we also have phrases such as the Sarfes Goch in Welsh, which means the red serpent, which in Christian culture became the devil. But then there's also these mentions of this Sarfes Goch having like this connection to the land itself and to the, to the realm of land itself. And so the serpent and the dragon are kind of 
correlated in my eyes because of that. And because we have so much mythology surrounding the idea of snakes becoming dragons in certain ways, like they grow wings on certain days and such and become dragons. And the serpent itself was a creature of wisdom, of cunning, of magic. And they could create these things called snake spheres, which are little glass balls that can keep all the illness away and mm. such. But specifically within Welsh folklore as well, there's the talk of creating and crafting snakeskin powder. And that is you go and find snakeskin, which if you have a pet snake is really easy. <laughs> and then you <clears throat> gather it together and you burn it in a pot. And as you burn it, it turns into this really strange molten like gel I don't know first but then it produces itself into this like um powdery soot as well and according to Welsh folklore if you gather that powdery black soot and you uh keep it on you you can use it for an abundance of like magical things you can use it for so many magical uses so it's like depending on how you use it you can use it to uh embolden yourself and empower yourself to make yourself stronger and invincible you can use it to heal illness you can use it to as kind of like a lie detecting powder apparently if you sprinkle it over the head of someone as they sleep that person can never lie uh, to you so it's a very good lie detecting powder it was also used as a go away powder so it was thrown if you managed to get to a nasty neighbor's house and cross their threshold, their front doorstep, and throw some of the powder into their home. It was a surefire way of getting rid of them. Um, and it was just, there's so many different methods that you can use them. And personally, me, fusing that knowledge with some of my more occult knowledge, so things such as planetary uh, understandings and correspondences, and also herbal uh, correspondences. So fusing them with ideas of what's used for which planetary time and such like this, and what what day can I create this powder so that it has certain qualities based on the planetary significance, but also mix it with some of the herbs and such in my collection to craft a powder. And that's something that I do a lot is that, but going off the same idea, the same concept of the snakeskin powder and the snake in general, uh, we have this tradition. So within my personal tradition, which is based on Welsh folklore, uh, my little working group, we do what we call Cerdded Achwibrai Sarfaid, which is walking the serpent path. And we see it as a form of meditation, as a form of connecting to the land. So we walk the Achwibrai Sarfaid, which are the paths in the land, which snake and coil. So they're the little pathways that surround, say, the coastal regions, the mountains, the forests, the streams, following along the rivers that snake through the land. And those are the huibra the serpent paths. And walking along those paths, uh, it kind of establishes your connection to the land. So just by walking it in general, but if you enter into a meditative trance-like state and walk these pathways, you then connect to the spirits of the land and you draw upon your own nerth. So nerth is the uh, the life force within us or ani, the vital life force within us. And then that can help you tap into your awen. So awen within a Welsh context is the spirit of divine inspiration. And as a witch, having inspiration and as a writer as well, having inspiration is very important. So doing all these things can vitalize our own life essence, our unni or our nerf and our awen. So the snake is a powerful symbol that I use every day in my life and specifically uh, which is walking the serpent paths and also creating and concocting special powders made out of snake skin. <laughs> so those are just two little things that I do practically daily. <laughs> 
That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know that was a thing. And and like you had said, Mara, it's, it's something if you have a snake very, very ethically sourced. I mean, hello, snake skin that's shed all the time. Um, oh, someone in chat asked, are there any sort of um, specific like health concerns or anything you deal when working with snake skin? Because someone was mentioning snakes or other types might have like salmonella or something like that, possibly. Is that something uh, you have any recommendation for people? Is it you know, dry it and make sure or anything like that? Yeah, so the powder that I create, uh, you burn the skin and I always make sure to do that outdoors so that there's no kind of fume. It does smell. It smells a lot. It smells like burning skin because that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I tend to do it outdoors in like a cast iron pot. I will burn the snake skin. Um, I'm lucky in that I have a brother who has a very large snake. So he gives me all his snake skin. Um, but it is also part of the folklore that if you find it in the wild, if you find the shed snake skin in the wild then that is very potent and powerful uh, but obviously if you're squeamish about germs and such maybe be careful <laughs> but um personally there's no although folklorically and in old folk magical tradition it was used internally as well so you could sprinkle it on your food for certain things or the vitality aspect the bit the part i told you where it said that snake skin can empower you to be um the best version of yourself and invincible that requires you to put it under your tongue um and i don't do any of that i don't ingest it i don't put it inside me i literally use it as a powder um i i literally collect the the soot and the dust and then i put it into like a mortar and pestle and i mix it with mm -hmm. other ingredients such as powders that I've already concocted and crafted or herbs and um, kind of crushed up resins and things like that and I mix them with different things and then just put them in a bottle or into a sachet of some sort and then use them as I wish. It was very commonly used as a protection powder as well so if you can just gather it and put it in a bag and then hang that bag somewhere in your home then it's an apotropaic tool it's a protective tool that you can hang up around the house so it's kind of a case of don't ingest it I would suggest maybe <laughs> but um, I've never come across any problems with it so far especially when I'm working with snakeskin that I've been given by someone who is a snake, you know, handler, someone who actually owns snakes or uh, anything like that. And I've only had the, the privilege of finding snakeskin, I think, three times in total in the wild. So um, it's, it's very hard. <laughs> so um, if you are lucky to do that, maybe, but do be aware of like germs and such. I'm not sure about the germ ratio and such going on, sure. especially in other lands, because we only have like three types of snake here. So yeah. That's a good point but, on it. That own. would be so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish we only had three types of snakes in Tennessee. We don't. We have like 20. <laughs> Too many. Gosh, we only have three. And I think yeah, I think only one of ours is actually venomous in any way or poisonous. I can't remember which is which. Oh wow. Um, to uh, actually cause any harm and that's the the adder the yes i think it's called adder in english as well isn't it yeah adder yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's the only one that we have to be careful around but that's the most in folklore the most sought after skin as well as the skin of the adder <laughs> oh wow that's amazing so this has me wondering, Mara. So, oh, uh, sorry, Pagan. I, I'm just curious what we could actually get oh, up to no, this no, weekend. You're totally fine. Uh oh, I think Pagan's internet's behind. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Pagan, well, give me uh, a second here. I'll, I'll continue. So Mara, this weekend was, say, on Saturday. I'm wondering what we might be able to get together uh, or, or 
you know, create maybe as a group. I know we've talked a lot about powders tonight and things. Are there any kind of mm, just maybe something to craft or even something as a group we could introduce our audience to maybe something from your book or even a flight of fancy for you at the moment you might want to experiment with together? I think um, a very easy craft project that one could do at home is uh, charm bags, which is um, a traditional kind of form of using charms in your practice. Uh, Charms, I think I mentioned in my Phenomenacon talk, were traditionally, uh, they were incantations, spells, they were written or spoken kind of spells that people would use to heal or to harm or to do whatever they want with, really. And um, there was a practice of putting these charms in pouches to carry upon the body along with certain things. So uh, it was common to see, for example, people might use a felt pouch. So they would get pieces of felt and create a little bag and then they'd embroider certain uh, planetary symbols or Solomonic symbols. So symbols from like grimoires and such uh, to do with the planets or to do with certain entities and angels that they worked in tandem with or that they prayed to. Um, And then they would place the charm, which was written on a piece of paper along again with more symbols and more magical uh, things of empowerment. And they would roll up the piece of paper and place it in the bag with other ingredients such as certain herbs and certain natural items they might put for example a um, hag stone or a glidenated or snake stone in there um, or they might put certain things such as rowan berries rowan twigs which we're out of season four right now i think but um the bear the twigs and the leaves are also useful so you can use those um so it's just basically creating a little bag a little felt pouch with a uh, written spell or incantation on on it uh on a piece of paper rolled up into the bag along with some other uh, items that match with whatever working you're doing. So for a protective one and a potropaic one, you might utilize the rowan twigs, the rowan berries or certain herbs such as rosemary and such. But um, yeah, that might be something that's quite easy and not too difficult <laughs> for people I to do at home. I think that would be so fun to do together. Um, Pagan and I have very loosely done uh, like a charm kind of workshop thing, but it's been over, I want to say a year now. This would be beautiful yes. to bring this back together uh something that i'm rather new to myself so i i love this do you have any um do you want to maybe call out some ingredients that you suggest people might want to bring to this on saturday we can also offline come up and write up you know something Mm -hmm. for our audience in a blog style but just any off the top of your head herbs or ingredients you mentioned rosemary which we're always telling people about Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you could use rosemary as well as green sage, which is you know garden sage, the normal sage you'd use for cooking, um, as well as uh, if you if you are fortunate enough to have a rowan tree anywhere nearby, some of the twigs, the branches, or the leaves of the tree would also be very useful within a charm bag. Um, if you are fortunate to have any snake skin, because if we can do like maybe a protective style of charm bag, then snake skin just as it is, you don't have to burn it and turn it into powder, just a piece of snake skin as well, or if you are fortunate enough to have any like snake bones and things like that um but yes any herbs that you would utilize for protection obviously being on this side of the pond i don't i'm not really sure what herbs everyone has access to and such but any herbs that might be used for protection or for certain aspects of whatever you want to do the working for uh, but those are the kind of ingredients that i would recommend personally 
That's wonderful. And Pagan, I'm sorry, our internet was being slow. What you had a question for Mar when I was talking. Go go ahead and ask. Uh, totally fine. I actually forgot what oh, the question was fine. because my internet was being a butt, and that's okay. But I do actually have a question. You mentioned something called a snake stone. What would what is that? So a snake stone um, in various texts from like the 17th, 18th and 19th century, we hear mention of these stones called glynether, which glyde means stone and nether means snake. So uh, glynether were, it's kind of, it's debated what exactly it means. In some folkloric texts, they say that it's a little piece of glass and it looks like a little marble almost that's produced naturally. And folklorically speaking, according to uh, the Welsh kind of mythical system, snakes would gather in convocation once a year at the summer solstice. So around the time of the summer solstice, they would gather together in big groups and writhe and wriggle and fight and cause all sorts of chaos. And they would also have conversations with each other, apparently. Mm-hmm. And they would come one uh, next to each other and they'd kind of boop their snoots together and they would hiss violently at one another. And as they hissed, they would produce this almost bubble-like liquid that would emanate from their bodies, from their nostrils. And then it, that bubble, as they moved away, would harden into a glass or stone-like substance that would fall to the floor. And um, then it produces what we see as glynated, which is the snake stone, which is a small glass-like bead, which people really sought out as much as they could because it was believed that having the glynated would give you so many magical abilities. It would give you good luck for the year ahead. It would mean that you could heal things such as styes or warts on uh, like on the eyes, especially if you put it in water and then rub your eye with it. It was said to heal those kind of things. It was said to heal things like arthritis, which in a farming community was like really needed. Like <laughs> they were struggling. So it was very sought after because they were said to be so imbued with magical potential and power. But then you have other other uh, pieces of folklore which state that the glynated is a hagstone, so a stone that has a natural hole through the middle. So just any stone that has a natural hole going through it is mm-hmm. also a glynated, according to some traditions. So it's kind of like debated which one it is. Um, I'm quite partial to the glass bead because there are actual uh, glass beads like that in museums, which we're not really sure what they are. Some people say they're beads left over from like the Roman occupation. Some people say that they're beads from the Iron Age people. Um and some people just say the folklore is true and snakes create the amount of magic. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's kind of like interesting because I've been to a few museums that have these glynated and they are really beautiful little things. They're almost like mm-hmm. little crystals. And uh, there was, um, so the village that I'm originally from, Aberfrau, was said to be notorious like for finding them. It was said to be a really good place to find them. So every time I go home, I walk along the coastal path like, where can I find it? <laughs> Looking like the witches from Hocus Pocus when they're sniffing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I keep I my eyes so, much. so open for those. Oh my goodness. Oh gosh. Mara, one this, day I'll find one. <laughs> this has been such an exciting chat tonight. I mean, we, we've got a few mm-hmm. more minutes here at the end. So I want to ask people in the audience, if you have any questions for Mara, this is a great time to make sure you post them. I think I caught most of the ones that came through in here. 
But, uh, oh, I wanted to call out our friend in chat, Amanda Rue, earlier said they noticed that your book has a lot of similarities with uh, what they've read in Appalachian folk magic book. And, Pagan, I know that's something you have mm-hmm. a lot of interest in and someone who's read both of them yourself. So I, I thought your, your talk yes. of people bringing, you know, and, and the Welsh culture abroad and where that's going and how they've shared it. I just wanted to kind of call out Amanda's comment because it is really cool to see. Uh, just that spread and how we as, as humans tend to come back around to our magical roots one way or another. Uh, so Mara, as we're reaching this end point and people are starting to put things in there, I want to ask you to shout out any other work you've got, got going on these days. I know you've got a, a mm-hmm. YouTube, Patreon, TikTok, and more. So what's what's going on with your life and what should people be paying attention to? Oh gosh, so I... I try to create as much content as possible across all medias, uh, mediums so that people can find the magic of Wales no matter where they are. So I do have a YouTube channel, which I'm trying to be more active on. Uh, my TikTok page has been a bit dead lately because I broke my phone, but I've got a new one now. So that means I can start doing things again if I can figure out how to use this phone. Um, but... <laughs> I also have, like you said, a Patreon. My Patreon is where I'm currently trying to build myself up as a lot at the minute. I am still new to Patreon. I'm not quite sure how to use it very well. Um, but on there, I will be offering uh, early access to all the content that I put elsewhere. So they always get all my YouTube videos a week in advance. Uh, but they also get exclusive videos. So exclusive video lessons, which can be anywhere from like 10 to 30 minutes long, focusing on an aspect of Welsh law. They also get um, exclusive articles and things that I write for them and uh, they get an insight into projects that I'm working on so for example I'm working on a second book right now and my patrons already know what it is so uh, nobody else does not even my publisher knows yet what it is but they know so it's a fun (laughs) one Um, but I post a lot in there and I, I talk to my patrons as if they're family so they're on my I've got a discord server for them as well as little Facebook group that we all talk and chat on and it, it's lovely just talking and being able to share the things that I, I'm not allowed to share publicly with anyone else yet uh, but on top of that I'm also working on a podcast at the minute uh, the Welsh Witch Podcast which is going to be an exploration of Welsh magic myth and law throughout Wales and specifically it's going to include a lot of interviews views with other Welsh witches and Welsh pagans, as well as people who are inspired by Welsh folklore and magic. So uh, I've already filmed two interviews this month, which are with, one was with a Celtic scholar, someone who studied Celtic studies academically. Um, and we talked about the the interesting like link between pagans and academics and the way that we might butt heads when it comes to this mythology and such. And then I also spoke to an artist who recently um, announced a book all about Welsh mythical creatures. So we talked about mythical creatures for a whole hour. Um, And I am also in the process of uh, setting up an interview with certain druids, certain witches, certain people who run organisations, as well as my friend Christopher Hughes, who's the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order. We're going to be talking about the history of druidry the history of like magic in Wales in general and all my patrons get like early access to those they get to see hear them before anyone else does the first episode should be coming out in the second week of April but for my patrons it'll be right at the beginning of April and um the 
thing that I'm doing for my patrons as well is I'm also going to be making uh, exclusive page, uh, podcast episodes, which will be 15 to 20 minutes long each time. And they'll be exclusive just for them, no one else. And on top of that, they get access to a video version of the podcast, which is unedited. So you get to see the whole conversation. So I'm trying to do more for my patrons because I don't feel like I do enough for them right now. <laughs> so but yeah, there's so much going on right now and I'm so excited. That's amazing. That is so, yes. so cool between, I mean, those, those author with just the, the whole idea of those interview series sound amazing. Mm-hmm. I can see Amanda's so excited in chat with that. Glad we got to bring, bring that sort of stuff back around the podcast. What was the name of that again, Martin? Is there, is there anywhere for people to get subscribed earlier or how's that working? Uh, so it's the Welsh Witch Podcast. Not yet. I'm going to be posting an announcement in the next week about it, as well as a little trailer for it. And then when I do that, so if anybody does not already follow me on like Twitter and such, then that's probably the best place to see any updates now. <laughs> that's okay. so cool. I've shared out your link tree multiple times in chat so folks can go in there. All of Mara's links are, are up in there. We have one question that came in in chat. I think this is a really fun one to, to sort of bring us to a, a, a little bit of a close on it. It really leaves the fun window open as we go towards Saturday. Uh, Marina Diamonds, I hope I'm saying that right, says, I'm a paranormal investigator from Ireland, and I'm curious what your most paranormal moment might be that you've ever witnessed. Oh, gosh. I remember very vividly. So uh, near to where I grew up is this burial. I just knew instantly what I was going to talk about. (laughs) Near to where I grew up, there was this burial chamber called Barcotiad Agawares, which translates to mean the giantess's apron full. And the folklore around it is that a giantess used to walk in that region with lots of stones in her apron. And one day she fell over and she created this massive burial chamber. And it's huge and it overlooks the sea. And it's basically like a hollow hill, like a real life hollow hill, because you can walk into it and it's just hollow on the inside side as this chamber but it's covered in earth and dirt and grass so it's like this little cave this pocket of the earth and um, when I had a little working group in Wales when I had a little I wouldn't say coven but it was basically a little group of witches that used to do things together we went one day on a very stormy night and we walked up the cliffs up to the burial chamber and we decided to stand in the uh, entranceway of the chamber because though you can go inside they have a gate that covers it to keep any nuisance out during the nighttime. So they clocked it up and we were stood in the kind of doorway. There's a little hallway that you can go down even when it's locked. And we were just stood there. And I remember being stood specifically with my back to the chamber itself. So I was looking out towards the sea and we were sitting uh, standing there, holding hands, chanting, enchanting something together, burning incense, doing all sorts of magical witchy things. When suddenly out of the chamber, from deep within the chamber, there was this little voice that sounded like a child that just went, what are you doing here? And all of us, every single one of us, all like six or seven of us that were there, jump out of our skin and turned (laughs) around. And we all just kind of looked at each other and were like, "Did, did everyone hear that? And we were looking into the dark chamber and we swear we could see what looked like a child running around inside laughing and whistling at us. And so we started flashing torches in there thinking, oh my gosh, there's a child stuck in the chamber or something. And nobody, there was not a single soul in there. So that was one very particular night that always stands out in my memory. (laughs) That is so wild. Did you 
make a TikTok about that burial chamber? Or am I, th- am I thinking of a different one? That's a different one. We have so That's many. Oh there are so many to be fair, <laughs> but yes, I, I, I remember seeing a TikTok. I actually sent a friend of mine, one of your TikToks today, because they were like, who are you talking to? And I'm like, here, go follow them on TikTok. You will not be bored. I promise. <laughs> so oh, I but that was still amazing. That was an amazing story. And I, I would have probably jumped out of my skin as well. <laughs> I literally got like goosebumps. Yeah, hearing that was such a <laughs> wow. They're blown out of the water. Ma, that that is literally probably the best story, best highlight to to leave off on for this evening. Gives people uh, a wanting a lot more. So, folks, we are going to be back together same time. Well, yeah, same time, same place. Seven p.m. Eastern time here over on Twitch. That will take place on mm-hmm. Saturday. So, just a couple days, we'll be posting throughout the week. This episode will come out in audio format on Wednesday. So, if anyone wants to catch this in recorded version later, uh, you'll be able to go back and listen. Share it with your friends. Make sure everyone knows about Mara's book. That just came out in February. So make sure you go buy yourself mm-hmm. a copy if you haven't already. Uh, there's going to be links in the description pretty much everywhere you find that episode. Uh, Pagan's holding a copy up right now on stream. Mara, thank you so much for taking uh, not only time out of your week for this amazing chat and introducing yourself, but also in advance for like coming by and being so excited to, to do things with the community. We absolutely love that. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It was absolutely brilliant. And I hope I entertained and didn't bore anyone too much. No, please come back. (laughs) Tell us more stories. (laughs) Yeah, I think we could go. I mean, that's that's a fun thing about this. We love to do an introduction episode, but it's so how do you set up someone's entire career, a life in the paranormal, you know, exploring all these different things? All you can do is give highlights the first time and and in the future Peggy and I would love Mm -hmm. love love to hear more chat like we got a lot of questions that were uh, continuations from your uh, Phenomenicon conversation these were some ones that they had been holding in the back of their minds so people are eager and I'm sure they'll come back Saturday with even more to talk about so I am going to hop out of our zoom call everybody I will do a little wrap up with our chat for this evening Mara thank you again so much for spending the time Pagan thank you so much for bringing everything to the conversation tonight appreciate you both very very much thank you and we will loop in on saturday i will talk to you both very soon bye-bye see you saturday bye okay chat be popping out of here i just want to do a quick wrap up for everyone tonight there we go thank you so much for all of the subs that came through during the stream absolutely amazing i saw some of that stuff popping up on the side thank you so much for supporting us thank you for uh being amazing to our guests it means the world to us like i said saturday we will be back with mara here on twitch uh, twitch.tv forward slash kyle paranormal if anyone's listening at home um go support mara by buying the book go support on tiktok and all the other amazing things uh the link tree is going to be posted for you so and and you can also search up mara over on Twitter and all the rest, and she has it in the bio. So go ahead and grab that very, very easily. We've already got a blog up on the Gilded site. If you guys aren't part of our little cyber coven, that's what we're calling it. We've got a great community on Gilded, uh, which is also serving as our blog and a little calendaring place and a place for everyone to chat together, similar to a Discord server. So get in there. Wednesday this week, we will be returning with Witchy Wednesday. Let's see what's actually on the agenda for tonight. Well, that night. Um, 
Ooh, we are doing garden tool and seed blessing. That's something um, for anyone that's looking to be planting this year. If you want to bring any garden tools or seeds to the table, uh, bring them with you on Wednesday night. That takes place 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch as well. Uh, Bring those. We'll do a little magic spell as a group. The other thing that I want to tease out to folks as we're, we're kind of expanding out throughout the year, a, a couple things I want to bring back around. These are just teases. Tinkerer Thursdays were a thing. Uh, we did that for two weeks. I really liked it. Schedule conflicts made it a little bit hard to do, but I'd love to get a Tinkerer Thursday group back together. Maybe it would take place on Thursdays. Maybe that will become one of our off weeks on Saturdays just to keep the rotation healthy. The other thing uh, I really want to do that people were were egging me on for on the other night at Twitch, they were, they were giving me lots of compliments, uh, doing a read-aloud group for some books that Llewellyn has sent us. There are specifically a couple ESP-related books that are only well, only they're 200 pages. So they're on the small end of the spectrum. These are these are shorter books that uh, <laughs> you're you know what I mean. So I was thinking maybe we could try reading some of those out. Those might get archived for our members. Uh, I was looking for something to add for a five dollar a month people. And this is a great reminder. <clears throat> pardon me. As the very end of this episode to say that by April 15th, a month from now, we will officially have moved everything over to the coffee website. So that is KO dash fi dot com forward slash kyle paranormal that is going to be our new membership hosting as we move away from the wix site if you have not subscribed before this is a beautiful chance to do it there are more perks up there than ever before uh, there are a couple more open founder member slots those are the 55 a month if you want to get some goodies in the mail we've opened up a 15 dollar a month tier because we know that spot was a little lacking that's going to involve uh getting a lot of tarot reads on the weekly up on coffee i've been pulling cards and posts and i think i'm gonna go and do one of those right now so everyone in chat, thank you a billion times over. Thank you to Mara for coming out. Thank you to everyone listening at home. We appreciate you so much. Come get involved. The Twitch is the, one of the most happening places. Twitch.tv forward slash Kyle Paranormal, the Gilded Server, and more. I will catch you all very soon. Bye-bye and take care.